Let's, let's pray together. Oh Lord, we come this morning in view of you, in view of your greatness, in view of your great promises that are sure, your word that is sure, and we come this morning by faith, and we come this morning trusting in you with all our hearts. Though we are weak and our faith is weak, we come by faith. We know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that assurance and conviction are not light words, they are sure words. We believe because these things are true. And so we come this morning gathering together and standing upon the truth by faith. And so we look to you, the creator of all things, and you have made us, and you have full authority, and you have full rights over all that you have made. That means you have full rights and authority over every single sphere of every single part of every single aspect of life and in this world. And so help us, Lord, to come with open hearts and open hands this morning saying yes. Yes to your word. That we would live in submission to you, Father, in Christ. And so we pray for your hand and we look and we look back as we consider all the things that you've done. And we wonder at them. We recognize that you have done mighty things and great things. We look back at your word and we see that you are faithful. And so may we trust you even when perhaps our present circumstances may be difficult or hard or when we may not see a light or even a glimmer of hope ahead of us. May our minds and our hearts continually go back to the truth and go back to who you are and go back to your promises and see your faithfulness. You are always, always faithful. And so if our hearts are lifted high this morning or if they are downcast, may we be of good heart and look to you in your word and find rest in you, O Lord. May we find rest in our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And so may we this morning come by faith. May you help us, Lord, as we come to a difficult passage. May we see all the wonders and the great things that you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles. The letter of the to the Galatians. So we're going to continue our study walking through this letter. We'll continue there with Galatians chapter four, from verses twenty-one, and we'll finish chapter four this morning. We'll go right into verse one of chapter five. So chapter four, verse twenty-one through chapter five, verse one. Now, last week, we're in. Even in the previous verses, if you just look ahead or before our passage here, 
you'll remember that we saw there Paul's tender appeal. And it was. It was a tender appeal out of love for Christ and out of love for the Galatians. He appealed to them to become like him. Now he, he wasn't saying become like me, like not, don't become like Jesus, but become like me. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, become like me. I am free in Christ and I want you to be free in Christ as well. Become like me in that. And so he appealed to them very tenderly and really laying out his heart before them. And so now we turn here to this passage this morning, which similar to Ephesians or Galatians 4, 12 through 20, it comes here within the letter to the Galatians with a rather kind of different tone from the rest of a letter. If you remember, as we've walked through this letter, Paul, he has really just been on the ground and, and setting forth and explaining and presenting his case. And then we had a tender appeal last week. And now here we see another kind of change of tone, which is different from the rest of the letter. And so he has said, as he's went forth in this letter, that whether you are Jew or Gentile, he has made it plain that Christ is sufficient for salvation. It is only Christ you need. Period. And he has appealed, he has cried out, he's implored that to the Galatians. Well, here in our passage this morning, we have at one and the same time kind of this further appeal. And we also have one of the most difficult passages in Galatians as well. As we'll see as well. And so, even so, it sets before us the call to absolutely leave the desert of self-effort and find life through the living water of Christ. And so may we this morning, let's look then at these verses beginning with verse 21. May God help us hear his word. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, 
like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So as I read those verses, as you are taking in all that Paul wrote here, at this point, you might be saying, what in the world? (laughs) That was awfully confusing. So you may be saying that and wondering what is going on with all of this. And so he talks about Hagar and Mount Sinai and two covenants and Jerusalem and Isaac, and slavery, and children of the promise. So what in the world is he talking about? Well, in order to understand this, we need to go back to the Old Testament. Now, a moment ago, we saw part of this with what Francie read from Genesis 17, verses 15 through 21. Now, all of that, if you remember, a number of people were in that passage, there was Abraham, there was Sarah, there was God's promise, there was Isaac, there was Ishmael, Ishmael, and all of that that we read and heard a moment ago, it matters greatly to our verses here this morning. Now as an aside, make no mistake, all of those people, if you've been in church for a long while, You can hear those names and just kind of, it falls flat on your ears. But we need to remember that these people, they really lived, they really breathed, and they really walked on the earth just as much as you do now. Now that just kind of a side point should just bring some humility to all of us. How brief our lives are. But God He really spoke to them. And that was part of history. And I say that because we are positioned here and now in 2022, where we are positioned here and now in 2022, we might just think that the modern age with its science and its technology and its knowledge and everything else, social media, with all these things then, we might just say, okay, well, you know, you know, we know better than that now. We know better than they did. And maybe, just maybe, you know, we've gotten over all this stuff, you know. We've gotten over our sin problem. Well, no. <laughs> That's absolutely not the case. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. We are desperately in need in our day of being honest with ourselves. We need very much so, and I pray so, an awakening 
an awakening to the reality of where we really are, that we would come out of the illusion of all these false authorities that we have made in our lives and come under the word of God and its ultimate and final authority over every single aspect of our lives. And in that way, we need to be awakened to our wretched state as well. We are sinners. You know, a newspaper years ago at once asked the question, one we've asked today and we asked today, what's wrong with the world today? We would find a lot of interesting answers today, wouldn't we? Well, G.K. Chesterton, who is a philosopher and theologian, he, he writes back in response to that question, and he, his answer hits the nail on the head, and he wrote in response, Dear Sir, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> and so we need... We need these words now. We have not gotten over the word of God. We need the word of God. We need the truth now Amen. in our day. Amen. Above every, and every voice, every idea, every philosophy, every ideology, whatever it is, we gain, get the truth from God's word. And so here we have the truth. And so Paul then, now that, all that was an aside. As you hear, go back to the Old Testament. I don't go back to the Old Testament. We need all the word. And so Paul, as he weaves the Old Testament into these verses, which we'll come back to in a second, but he, hasn't, he, has, he isn't really kind of breaking new ground here. He's talked about a lot of these things that he's bringing up now already. And so he's touched on a number of these things. So just a number of things we've already seen. So works, we've heard that already. Flesh, we've heard that already. The Spirit of God, we've seen Him already. The law and slavery, we've seen all those themes already up to this point in Galatians. And so, for example, Galatians 3, we'll see actually almost every one of these. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you see all that? All those themes just right there. Spirit, works, law, faith, spirit again, flesh. So we've heard all this. And if you're wondering, like, why is he going over all this? Because this passage that we're getting ready to go into, it's going to require a lot of us. So I just want to encourage you right now, don't just kind of like say, well, I'm going to take off, you know, thinking and just kind of leave it somewhere else. Don't do that this morning. 
Because this is not an easy passage. So it will require you to think. And so we see it there in Galatians 3, all those themes, and then we also see it even more, or even as you continue along, Galatians 3, 27-29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, therefore it is there, or there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so we've seen all these themes that are coming out here in our verses already. And so Paul, he is driving home his points from before and kind of angling in a different direction. He's been very logical, very exact. Now he's coming another angle and he's saying, I want you to hear these things through an illustration. However, as he does this, he he talks about something that he hasn't quite talked about before. And so he talks about now is that, you know, where before uh, he had talked about Abraham, you know, and the promise that God had made there. But he hadn't talked about how they had had a son named Ishmael. Or more accurately, Abraham and Sarah's slave Hagar had Ishmael. So if you want to go and look at all that, Genesis 16, you can do that on your own afterwards. But incredibly, you know, Sarah even asked Abraham to take Hagar as his wife so that they would have a child. I mean, that by itself is a bit shocking. And so the question, though, as they are doing this is she asks Abraham to do this. And the, the question that they're wrestling with is this. When? When? When will you give us, you referring to God, when will you give us a child that you promised? When will you give us that child that you promised us? Because God, he had promised them that he would give them a child, an offspring, and yet that hasn't happened. And they're getting old. <laughs> they're getting really old. And so, if we think that question is far from us, it really isn't. I mean, many of you might have wrestled with a question like that. You know, when, Lord, when will you give us a child? You know, there was a time when we didn't Megan and I, we didn't know if we were going to have children. You know, we had tried and tried, and we even lost our first child, and we just wondered, you know, what, what, what will happen? Are we not, is it not your will that we have children? And so it's hard, and that is a despairing time. And so there they were then. Abraham and Sarah, except they had been promised by God that they would have a child. And so there they are wondering, what's going on? Where is this child? And so that then brings us to the two people that we 
find Paul describing here. And so first, the first person that we have here is the slave woman. The slave woman. So as we see from verses 21 through 23, Abraham, he had two sons, one from the slave woman and the other by the free woman. So this can be a little bit complicated, but just hear and listen. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, and the other was born through promise. Maybe got that? Those words matter, though, so just kind of hang on to those words, that word flesh and promise. So just kind of take those, if you would, flesh, promise, and just kind of put them in your back pocket or kind of keep them ready because those will be important for understanding what Paul is saying here. So in view of those verses, verses 21 through 23, Paul then now says in verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. Now that word there, allegorically, may be confusing. But what is he doing? Well, Paul, what he is doing here is he essentially is giving an illustration. An illustration. He is illustrating here law-like parallels with the story of the slave woman and the free woman. And so he's, what he's not doing is he's not saying, all right, I said the word allegory, and so go ahead and make a big allegorical kind of biblical way of interpreting the Bible and just interpret the Bible any way you want. You know, just go to the Old Testament and make meanings out of whatever you want. He's not doing that. He's not giving an allowance for a whole system of allegorical interpretation of the Bible. What he's doing is he's giving an illustration to magnify the textual, historical, biblical truths that he has been writing about all along. And so that's kind of the turn he's making here. He's appealed to them personally. And now he's coming from another angle and giving them an illustration of what he's been saying all along. So he's drawing from the Old Testament history to make an urgent point. And so breaking this down then, we see that the slave woman is Hagar and her children. So Paul, he says that she, Hagar, she symbolizes Mount Sinai. Or when you think Mount Sinai, what comes to mind? Moses, right? The law, Ten Commandments. And so Paul, he is using that imagery, Mount Sinai, to refer to law, works. And so she is then the present Jerusalem. And who is that? Well, he's referring to the Judaizers. It is those who are enslaved, those who are seeking to live under the law. They're seeking to live under sin rather than Christ. And so Paul says then that these women, verse 24, are two covenants. Whereas one New Testament scholar helpfully translates this as they represent two covenants. So what are these two covenants? Well, the first covenant is a covenant of flesh and human effort. A covenant of flesh, of the flesh and human effort. Now, 
get that word back out again that I mentioned before. Which one? The word flesh. And so verse 23, the son, the slave, was born according to the flesh. And that matters massively in what Paul is trying to say. Ishmael, Ishmael was born because Abraham and Sarah thought they needed to do something to bring about God's promise. In other words, it was of the flesh. It was of their own effort. It was of their own ability. When you look at the birth of Ishmael, you do not come away saying, oh wow, God did that. What you come away with is you come away and you say, they made that happen. It was their doing. And so also, that is what the Judaizers are and what they're offering. They are offering a salvation solely based on the flesh, solely based on human effort. And so the first covenant is a covenant of human effort and of the flesh, and then it is also a covenant of unbelief, of unbelief. So Abraham and Sarah, they acted because they ultimately thought, you know, we're getting old. We haven't had this child yet that God has said that we would have. And so I guess it's up to us. We've got to do something. And they were old, around 85 years old at that time. So they decided... Let's go to Hagar. But God, he did not say he was going to give them a child through Hagar. He was going to give them a child. And so what we see here is that this is a gospel of man. This is a gospel of man. It is the anti-good news, the no Good news, news. It appears good. You know, we like stuff like this in our lives. You know, just tell me what I need to do, like this and this and this, and I'll get it done. That's why we like stuff like that. Just give me a list of things, and if I do that, then I'll be good. This, I fulfill that and that, and boom, I'm saved. So it's all about you. You do it. Human effort. But it's really only a gospel of unbelief. It is tyranny, it is slavery, and it is a desert. And it is why we see everywhere, bringing it to our lives right now, it's why you see everywhere people are desperate. Their soul is longing for life and they don't have it. It's because they're living according to this. So if you think like Paul, he's arguing in very abstract ways. He's not. He's saying this is directly related to your life. If you are dead, this is why. If you're undone, despairing, overcome by how much you can't do, this is why. The law was not given by God to save. Under the gospel of man, Everything ultimately rests upon your shoulders. Is that not overwhelming? 
I mean, like, you got to do it. You know, put that whole weight on your shoulders right now, and you've got to do all this in order to be saved. It's up to you to get better. It's up to you to stop sinning. It's up to you to stop lusting. It's up to you to stop lying. It's up to you to stop being angry at others. It's up to you to stop being anxious, to stop being controlling, to stop making idols, to stop being addicted to everything. Which is ultimately what we all are doing. It's funny how we limit it to like addiction to those who are like alcohol or other things, but we're all addicts to something. That's what idols are. You can love sex, you can love food, you can love movies, you can love sports. We love it more than God. And so this gospel of man, it is graceless and its fruits are graceless as well. So that's not what we see in the gospel, is it? It's not where you will find victory and life. It's in Christ and through Christ that we see the hand of God. He came to bear your sins for you and he is the alone one who can bear them for you. And that is not something you can do. It's only something he can do. Amen. And this is where the other woman comes in. The other woman here is the free woman. The free woman. So again, remember verse 23. The son of the free woman was born through promise. Now get out that other word. You had the word flesh. Now get out the word promise. And so who is this? Although she is never mentioned directly by name, we see it is definitely Sarah and her children. It is Sarah and her children. It was through Sarah that Isaac was born. And so verse 28, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. And so this is the second covenant. And in contrast to the slave woman, it is not a covenant of the flesh and of human effort, but it is a covenant, praise God, of the Spirit and of God's power. And so it is that verse 29 says, Isaac was born according to the Spirit. In other words, this is something only God can do. So Paul, he quotes here Isaiah 54.1 in verse 29 to say that although Sarah was barren and by all appearances, all the appearances of man, it might seem like no child is coming, that no life is coming, yet by the hand of God, that child will come and did come. So it is not a covenant of unbelief. 
it is a covenant of belief. A covenant of belief. The only thing for you to do is to believe. Is to believe. Is to trust. Is to go forward by faith. And there's the Christian life. It's not based on you. It is based on God. This is the gospel of God. Not the gospel of man. And this gospel is the only gospel there is. Amen. There is no other gospel only true gospel is God-centered. It is Christ-centered. As my previous pastor used to say, if it's close to the gospel, it's not the gospel. There is only one gospel, and it's the gospel of God. This is the good news. Human effort cannot atone for sin, nor truly ever overcome it. If you are continually not able to overcome sin, there is something wrong. Now, I'm not saying you won't fight with sin for the rest of your life, because you will. I do. But there's victory in Jesus. And it could very well be that you're just relying on yourself. The whole of your life isn't come to faith in Jesus and you just work hard yourself for the rest of your life. It must be God. It must be God. God must save. He must sanctify or there is no life. There is no sanctification. However, this is where we need to be honest with ourselves as well. We like to fashion and take things and fashion things into our own image. You know, as one famous theologian said, that we are idol factories. And I'm afraid what many have, that they have come to say is the gospel is really not the gospel at all. It is a gospel of man. It is a man-centered gospel. And honestly, it makes sense that they would do this historically. I mean, every single one of us in this room are wrestling with this. Since the Enlightenment, when essentially God was kind of cast off, and what happened then when they said, we'll, we'll reach... After God, we'll seek after God, not via revelation, because that's really how God would be known, is through revelation. They said, no, no, we're going to seek Him through our mind and through reason. And they found out, whoops, we can't. <laughs> we can't get there that way. So, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create meaning for ourselves. Equals where we are right now in history. Does that not explain everything going on in our world right now? The relativism, postmodernism, people looking for meaning, they just make it up. Have mercy. 
And so we have done, I believe, in our churches. We've just righted, rode the cultural tide of a man-centered everything. And so we come and we worship with ourselves on the throne instead of God. And so we must battle. We must examine our hearts. We must fight for a God-centered gospel, a Christ-centered gospel, because that is the gospel. We have looked for meaning out there and not from God, and we have not found it. It is not from us. And I believe in our day what is needed and what will be needed is a great humbling across every aspect of every Christian's life. A seeing of our bankrupt state before God and seeing the infinite beauty of God and His power and that He alone did this. He alone must save. God is the one who draws. He's the one who causes eyes to see and He is the one who brings life to the dead. That's what we see God did with, of course, the gospel. But as Paul is giving this illustration here, we see it with the birth of Isaac. A hundred years old. Here's Abraham. (laughs) Imagine that. And Sarah, 90. And they have a child. And what is the testimony? Is it... Oh, you see what Abraham and Sarah did? That's great. Good job. No. The testimony is not that. The testimony is you see what God did. And that is the Christian's testimony as well. You see what God did. And it never ends. Every day, it's you see what God did and is doing. No boasting, no bragging, no self righteousness, no righteousness of my own, no holier than thou. No, I'm a better parent than you are. Ha! None of that stuff. But you see what God did and how we are humbled. Because there is no room for boasting in the Christian life. It is Christ who sets us free. And so Paul, he is taking these two women, and he is saying, the Judaizers, they are only offering slavery, a life lived according to the power of man, a gospel of man, appealing to them, Paul is, while Christ is offering true freedom, salvation wrought only by the power of God according to His promise, according to something He would do, and this is the gospel of God. And so if you are in Christ, 
you are children of the free woman. You are children of the free woman. And you can decide. <laughs> oh, you know. For freedom, Christ has set us free. True freedom is found in Christ and living by the power of God. So it is in Christ there is freedom, there is victory, there is life, there is not a desert, but there is living water. And so Paul is saying, you cast out that slave woman, the gospel of man, and you need to live free in Christ. Live, go out by the power of God and live for the glory of God. Stand firm. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, whoever you are, you're broken, you're a broken woman or a broken man, or you're a broken son, a broken daughter, a broken mom, a broken dad, a broken husband, a broken wife. Whoever you are, listen well. In Christ, you are not a slave. You are free. You are free to glorify and to enjoy God forever. So see that you are free in Christ and do not submit nor turn again to a yoke of slavery. Oh, that we would, we would embrace this and these truths and see what God will do, what chains will come off, what life will come, what grace will abound, what joy will shine forth, and what love and service and hope and zeal for God will work, how God will work in us. So friends, believe, believe. Stop listening to the world that says you need to believe in yourself and you listen instead to the word of God and believe in God. And what wonders then he will perform. Amen. So may you rest in Christ. And may we rest in Christ this morning. Let's pray. Oh Lord. What tensions we find here tensions we feel in our hearts even now as gospel of man, gospel of God. I pray we would look at our lives, examine ourselves and ask how we've been living. Could mean that we simply have been living according to the gospel of man and we don't know you, we don't know Christ. We have sought to live out what we think is Christianity, 
and we have been floundering, we have been despairing, and we have found everything wanting, and we have found that Christ is not enough because we have not looked to Christ at all. And so the response for anyone here, if that is you, it is to repent and believe and put your faith in Christ and be free this morning. Stop trying and let believe. Believe in Christ and you will be saved. Or perhaps we have been walking and struggling with sin and self and we have found that that is exactly what we've been doing. We've just been trying to live out this Christian life on our own efforts. God is calling us to repent and to humble ourselves and say, no, it is not something that we can do. It is God who must do the work. It is by the Spirit of God we put to death the deeds of the body. And so help us, Lord, to come to you and to simply rest in Christ and look to Christ this morning as our all. May it be that, Lord, as people look at us and look at our families and look at our parenting or look at whatever, and they do see our sin, they see our struggles, they see our mistakes and all these things, they would see above all that God did that. He did the work in us, and it is because of him we are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we pray and we ask you would do your work in us this morning. May we respond to your word in Jesus' name. Amen.